calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. everyone welcome to the spooktacular of bitches on comics i wanted to do kind of like a kind of laugh but uh my timing was off so that was a very delayed spooky introduction so i'm sarah century you may have guessed by now simply by the style of this introduction and i am here with a very special guest we are fortunate enough to have a lot of special guests this month so continue to check out every single episode throughout, but this is one of our favorites, Stephanie Williams. Welcome again to the pod, and um, I'm so happy for, that you are here. I am too. It's like um, you know, coming to you know, like your friend's house when like they have like either like a den or a basement. <laughs> um, there's like a very comfortable couch. There's always snacks. Um, the mom is like really nice too, right? Um, she's kind of like the cool mom. It's like open the window so that nobody can smell the weed yeah. upstairs. <laughs> yeah, but your um, mom, but- your nice mom, secretly knows, right? And is just like they're going downstairs to smoke weed again. Yeah, I'm like, I hope they save me some, um, because that probably (laughs) will be me as a mom, unfortunately, or fortunately, Um, but I am happy to be here, and it's so funny because growing up, Halloween was not a holiday that I really got to really dive into every now and again, like my mom would be like, oh, we could do a little something, because not a very strict Christian household, but enough that I had to go to these things called Hallelujah Night, which Mm. those are nightmarish. Because mm-hmm. you get like a bag of oranges and apples, maybe <laughs> some peppermint candy. Um, they'll show you the horrors of the movie Left Behind. Oh. Uh, what happens when you <laughs> you don't accept the Lord and Jesus Christ as your savior and all these other things, or you sin just a little too much. Um, yep. But that was my upbringing. So in my adulthood, it's been fun, like actually changing my relationship with Halloween and just horror in general as not like this evil thing that is going to curse you for all eternity, but like this really fun, expressive storytelling and just experience. And, you know, 
we live. So life in itself can sometimes be short horrors or very long horrors mm-hmm. or whatever. So <laughs> how can you not, I just don't know how you can't really enjoy horror and it looks different. Um, that's the other thing that I love about horror. Like it, it, Yes, all facets of it. So it's um, it's not one size at all. And that's the beautiful thing about it. That's it. I always think that with horror because people will say, oh, I don't do horror movies. And I'm always like, what kind of horror don't you like? Because you've probably mm-hmm. seen like Frankenstein, right? And I was like, yeah. which, where, where do we draw the line here? <laughs> and usually it's like, I don't, I don't want to watch Hostel or something. And it's like, that's fine. Nine times out of 10, I don't want to watch Hostel either. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I still love horror, you know? There's plenty of different kinds of horror. And for me, my biggest thing is I always think that horror does serve a purpose, even if I don't like it. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. personally love the movie, like, Cannibal Holocaust, right? But there's a lot of social commentary in that movie. It exists as a response to its times, and I can't deny that, right? So Mm -hmm. I always am like, I... I question it when people are like, why did somebody make this movie? And it's like, why? Well, you know... Texas Chainsaw Massacre happens in like the aftermath of the Manson family. So like you kind of have to, it's digging into the parts of us that we don't like. Right. And that's something that I think is a very worthwhile journey to take. And I was also going to mention that I am an atheist. I was raised by atheists. I'm not like a practicing atheist. Like, you know how people will be like, I'm an atheist and I'm so atheist that like, don't come at me with your anything, right? It's fine. I'm not mad about it. You know, I just, I'm agnostic probably more because it's just like, I really just don't think about it. Yeah, I wasn't raised to think about it that much. But I also am like, okay, whenever people occasionally will start to go into their Christian upbringing stories, I'm always like, mm-hmm. this is the horror story. Yes, like, I get excited <laughs> about it because I'm like, this is kind of fun. You know, and it gets, it definitely can take a very upsetting turn, right? But mm-hmm. I will think that sometimes this kind of, uh, you know, I just didn't grow up with these organized, you know, religious events at all. So to me, I'm just like, ooh, weird, a bunch of people gathering. <laughs> like, I, it's, it's so, it's so funny to me because like the older I get, um, just a lot of just Christian based practices, like, yeah. You know this is giving a little bit of rich witchcraft, right? You know this right. is kind of cultist, right? You know <laughs> Almost this is all like these things. in some way founded on that. Yeah. Yes. Um, so if anything, um, I will say that I think possibly that upbringing has given me an even more uh, like a, a greater appreciation for horror because I see those intersections. Um and I don't know, like it's just kind of fun to like tell people about Halloween. I'm like, well, that sounds terrible. And I'm like, it was. So mm-hmm. let me tell you all the reasons <laughs> why. Um, because I could, yeah. uh, Midnight Mass uh, on Netflix, <laughs> I ended up watching that. I was like, you know what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. works. Uh, Legion, um, yeah. a movie that came out, I think it was that 2020, 2011, where we had that right. weird, really weird spot where we were like, um, Constantine, the priest, and we had like mm-hmm. all of these horror centric slash sci fi movies that came out. I was, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know what? Yeah, I get that. Um, and like it just all makes <laughs> sense. Uh, even that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, uh, Six Days, that is, yeah. Cause you know, yeah, I know what you're talking was, about. It was like the second coming of the devil. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> even um the Al Pacino and um 
Uh, what is it? The uh, and Charlize Theron is in it. What is the name of that movie? I've is that the it. Devil's it's Advocate you're talking the about? The Damn Devil's Advocate. Yes, that is another <laughs> one. That's horror, um, but also very, yeah, for uh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> and all these things. So, like, I, you know, I was like, I get it. You know, at least with the with the Christian background, I was like, okay, well, I, I see where they got that from, and that also scared me. Like, you know, oh, yeah. the, Reve- the whole book of Revelations, I'm like, who? Who wrote this? Was this M. Night Shyamalan? Who, who wrote this here? Is this R.L. Stein? Because <laughs> um, this is terrifying. And Oh, it's um, so scary. The Book of Revelations <laughs> is a good example of how the Bible is just a horror story, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're just like, this is so metal and awesome. Like, you know... Every time you're just like, oh, the whore of Babylon's here. I'm so excited. Like, <laughs> she's my favorite character. <laughs> like, oh my, the mark of the beast. Like, Yay. all of these things. Um, I'm like, and this the birds is, like dropping from the sky. Yes. And you're like, that's just global warming, actually. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I yeah. think about this stuff a lot, actually, because I mean, horror and religion are so connected, and that runs the gamut of satanic panic like all of the satanists are out to steal your wives and children or like whatever and you know doing ritual sacrifices all over the place but then it also is something you know like midnight mass that really questions this kind of catholicism and the way that it can hurt people and the way that it can make people no longer engage with what's right and wrong because they Mm -hmm. say well god wants this and whenever god wants it then that turns into the most dangerous thing in the world because a, we don't know that that's what God wants, first of all. Yeah. And then, you know, like, we don't have the connection with God that you have because God is essentially you. You're just referring to yourself yep. and what you want. And you're confirming these biases because you think that God wants you to do it. And that is mortifying because that gives you a license to do absolutely anything. And that's what you see in Midnight Mass, right? Is everybody, Mm -hmm. the town goes wild. They're doing these like horrible things. And the way that they justify it to themselves is God wants this. And it's like, well, you're actually so removed from the concept of what God even is, right? And that's Mm -hmm. kind of the the cool Kate Spiegel like uh, rant, you know, that she does at the end. Kate Siegel, sorry, I said her name wrong. (laughs) Yeah, sorry to mispronounce my wife's name here, but um, <laughs> Kate, Kate Siegel, and she was like, ta- you know, the big rant of like, this is what I believe we're like connected to the cosmos and all of this. And I think that that's a very healthy way of viewing the world, <laughs> right? Absolutely. And so I liked that they put that in there and that they were kind of exploring how toxic this stuff can be, but also that there is something that's really wonderful about it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like as somebody who's not at all religious, when you see somebody who's connecting with their religion, when you see somebody who's praying or something like that, it's a beautiful thing to see. Like, it's wonderful. You know, it really can be such a moving thing, even as somebody who I just I just don't connect with it. You know, it's not me, but I still can see the value of it. Right. So I wonder about that, you know, and I kind of wonder how that plays into horror sometimes because there's so much religion in horror. <laughs> and there is so much. Um, it just made me think of the movie um, with Nicolas Cage, The Knowing. And um, so <laughs> <laughs> I saw that in theaters and like, I didn't know what to expect. And it definitely made me cry because I think at, this was at a time where I was in my 
I don't like, and this, I don't want to say it was a weird space where I was like, okay, this thing that I grew up learning, I actually feel very differently, but also I do want to have some type of spiritual connection to something bigger than me. Um, so that movie is about this man who has lost all faith because um, they tragically, he, him and his son, like tragically lost, lost a wife and mother in a right. fire that happened at the hotel. So like he loses all his faith and then all these things start happening where it's like, okay, well, obviously there is something more than me that exists and he starts putting it together and it turns out to be global warming. Uh, the sun right. <laughs> has... Uh, sent this flare and like that's why things are blowing out, like burning up and everything and getting hot um but they're like these angels that appear at the end and like well not angels they're aliens that take on the shape of what we would consider um not a traditional angel with all the eyes and like many uh wings but like or i guess more traditional um not biblically accurate and i was like you know this i i really love this aspiration because that um because at the end, he ends up finding a, a new way to connect with his faith. And I thought that was beautiful that this happened in this this horror slash sci-fi-esque <laughs> type of movie. Um, recently, I watched M. Night Shyamalan's, I gotta find the name of this movie. It's with the, they're in the woods or whatever. And I think, oh, A Knock at the Cabin. That's it. And it's it's based on the Paul Tremblay, I think his name yeah last name is that novel and they didn't credit him or something on the poster yeah, which is really <laughs> yeah which also is another horror and i have that book yes. waiting <laughs> on me to listen to the audio version because i'm very curious but in that book um they don't like outright talk about religion or anything like that there there are some mentionings here and there but it it really is a hey believing in something that is bigger than you um and it's a i mean it works uh, there are some things that i was kind of like mm, i don't really know about that direction but sure i'll give you <laughs> i'll give you this um but that's another thing where like are you willing to believe in something that is bigger than you and like does that cause you to be selfless or more selfish so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it kind of, it works. Um, signs yeah. is another one. Um, even, uh, horror mostly is the only one that I, to me, the genre that where it's, it's willing to look at the nasty parts of religion. Right. And yeah. that and doesn't too. necessarily happen. Yes. And that yeah. doesn't always happen in other mm-hmm. genres. Right. It can occasionally. It does pop up in sci-fi, fantasy, all of these different genres. But for me, far and away, horror is the one that's just like, here's what's horrible about religion. But then also, you know, a lot of the greats of the genre, like Stephen King or whatever, he is obsessed with God, right? So (laughs) there's a lot of religious parables. Honestly, I think that that's where the stand goes wrong, right? Because it's in the beginning, the stand is just a plague that's so scary. Like the patient zero is like running around the country and infecting everybody because he wants to survive. And yeah. it's just like such a, <laughs> such a like, oh my God, you know, like that's how the book starts. And then it's just like, well, let's just turn it into this like hyper white Christian garbage, <laughs> basically. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay, well, you lost me there. But, you know, I'm still I'm still always going to remember that first, like, 100 pages or so because it is, like, all thriller, <laughs> no filler. Right. 
<laughs> where it's it almost took that turn. No, um, and that's very fair. <laughs> and I think so for me for the longest, uh horror that I would avoid was the horror that was more like either just demonic or possession and stuff. Cause mm-hmm. I don't know, I guess because of my connection to um like religion, there was always a piece of me I was like, but some of it, it's gotta be like real in some way, right? Like that it feels too like there's no handling of that. Like there are no um hard set rules where mm-hmm. creature features absolutely love because that feels more concrete like well if I shoot this thing or I stab it with whatever or we drop it into a volcano like it ceases to exist um where we have more of the spiritual whatever like that feels it's too many it's too many unknowns there uh so I guess segueing um, to Voyage of the, <laughs> the Demeter, the creature features, Voyage of the Demeter, where you do have some religion still there because Dracula, hello. Um, but to me, that particular, um, at least for the the movie, the, the last Voyage of the Demeter, that felt more creature feature to me, which I always mm-hmm. enjoy uh, because it wasn't this Dracula who was very suave and, you know, going to talk you out of your neck and your panties. Um, this was the Dracula <laughs> where you, uh, you absolutely were horrified. Um, and I don't want to spoil yeah, anything for anyone. Yeah, I'm interested to hear but, about this. Oh, well, okay. Well, spoiler alert, if you have not seen this, um, fast forward. Uh, But so we're on the ship, which is always fun. uh, Very, you can't go anywhere else. Uh, There is this uh, unmarked, uh, I guess, shipment or whatever, or they kind of know about it. Yes, we know that this is going to end horribly uh, because, I mean, <laughs> you got a crew. Everyone's like your little, your your archetypes for these type of films. So you have somebody super hyper-religious, someone who's like very science-based, in-between, mysterious girl that they found who looks very um, malnutrition. Um, she has not eaten. She's hydrated, dehydrated and all these things. And then you have this other box where we don't know what's in it, but we know that whatever was in it is now missing and things just go, Mm -hmm. they just go left quickly. Mm -hmm. Oh, and there's a kid that is also on the ship. And yeah, things don't go well for that child either. Um, And in Victorian era, there's always a kid just, uh (laughs) uh-oh, like this chimney sweeps up in here, like, uh (laughs) uh-oh. Yeah, and... I guess I should have seen that coming that the kid was going to get got. Um, mm. But even like when it happened, I was like, oh, shit. I was like, this fucking rules, which sounds terrible. But no, I I'm know. always I a fan of, yeah, I'm like, I'm always a fan of horror that kind of pushes and does the thing that you shouldn't do. But let's go ahead and cross that line. But this is and- just a straight creature just because Dracula, Dracula is a monster. And yeah. This is a nice reminder of that. Yes, I love that. And that's kind of the thing is, is that in even in the book, you know, there's some mm, he's very he's more monstrous than he is in like the love story of, you know, the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula or something like that. He's much more monstrous in the book itself. And, you know, the thing with him and Mina is like a lot more violent and Mm -hmm. all of this. It's not like a 
star-crossed love story. No. <laughs> but it, it's interesting because there is, you know, the seduction of Dracula is always commented on when you talk about Dracula. If you talk about vampires in general, it's just like they're all super hot and, you know, they can convince you to do things or whatever. And it's kind of an interesting story, but I always think that the the horror movie that tells you the ending at the beginning, you know, the horror movie that's yeah. just like, we're not getting out of this. And then whenever you're going through, you're still surprised that you're not getting out of it because we're so conditioned to expect movies to give us a happier ending than what we started with, right? So <laughs> it's like, we're very conditioned to be like, this is going to work out for this kid, I'm pretty sure. And it's like, well we're not leaving here. And I love that because then it's just kind of, you know, like I said, they tell you the end at the beginning. I have like a fondness of stories that tell you the end at the beginning because it's the whole time you'll find yourself trying to get out of it in your mind, right? Like, how are they going to escape? And it's like, they're not going to escape this shit. Trust me. (laughs) But it's great though, because you really get to enjoy the journey because there is no focusing on what you think the end is going to be because you you already know, um, which means that they also have to make sure that the journey to get there is worthwhile. Um, Mm -hmm. so definitely, um, bear with you on that. Uh, but like I saw that movie high, um, I had, that was my first time having (laughs) a hundred milligram edible. Um, and yeah, what a, that is a one-time experience. (laughs) Uh, I think I'm good on that again. Um, and I was like two hours deep into that um so so funny enough like I wasn't sure I was like am I gonna be like more jumpy or am I just gonna be like super relaxed and I was just super relaxed which I think also helped me I don't know like when I was watching this movie kind of take it for what it was and just really enjoy the tropes um enjoy the jump scares um and just the fact, like, you know, for me, horror sometimes, I just want to have a good time. Like, I want to have a good, gory, bloody time because this is fiction um, and it's okay. And I think, again, like, when I bring up creature features, like, those are my comfort watches. Because <laughs> The Cave yeah. with uh, Morris Chestnut, I think Daniel Day Kim is in it. Um, and, like, two actors that Tyler Perry loves to put in his movies um, as, like, I Need a White Guy. Um, I'm blanking on their names, but they appear in a movie, too. And it's just, um, <laughs> it's a good time. Uh, and Anaconda, uh, Underwater, which I can watch all day. Aliens, all of these movies um, where we have a one creature or many of them uh and usually the focus is like capitalism in some way because that monster is either a result of that for the cave it was like you know a a religion thing they were looking for something and like uh they were in this church ever it it blew up or something like that uh the hundreds of years ago a hundred years ago everyone who fell in grew into like these actual demons um, or really just monsters that look like demons. <laughs> so I don't know, like a creature feature, uh, Last Voyage of the Demeter um, actually ends up getting added to my list of comfort watches because like, I know there's only one or two ways this can go. You're either going to destroy the thing or think that you right. destroyed it. And then there's a baby or <laughs> just a, like a little piece of it still left or a bigger version of it. 
that is even more scarier uh, that was left and will get like another movie or something like that. But yeah, creature features because, oh, you know that you can harpoon it. You can harpoon it. <laughs> Unless it's the blob, then you've got to freeze it, right? Oh my God. I, I wonder love, about that yes. because it's like they dropped the blob in Antarctica, but now it's like, now that that's thawing, is the blob coming back? Who knows? Uh, the but thing, I, I think <laughs> about that all the time because like, Oh hey. my God. Yeah, the thing is coming back for sure. Like we're <laughs> thawing out the earth and therefore the thing is now a problem again yes. for us. I, did you watch, okay, never mind. I was going to be like, did you watch the remake of the thing? Because I actually I kind of loved it. Did. But I love <laughs> Love it, because um, I know that because it's really technically like a prequel, right? Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. For the way that it functions, also like MEW, if she's in something, I'm like, you know, we're we're here to have a a good time. I'll watch and, it. <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm gonna watch it. Everyone I, who I, is like left of it's like basically if you're by or more, <laughs> yeah, you will watch every movie that she's <laughs> yes. in. But no, like I, I really enjoyed that. I also saw that in theater um, because there's something about, especially like movies. Well, it just wasn't in the eighties, but like the original thing was something about creature features between like 1980 to I would even say 97 have a special place in my heart because you're still getting a lot of practical effects which I always enjoy because those usually age a little bit better than CGI. The thing is still just a masterpiece because <sighs> so of that. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm probably going to watch that sometime this week. I guarantee it. Um, but like that prequel, it just, it works. Cause it's like, Oh, we really didn't add any women in this. So let's do <laughs> Let's retroactively let's do one. it. But like, doesn't she, hurt that we chose one who is incredibly hot and yeah. <laughs> who we're very invested in. But again, we know the end at the beginning, you know. So that's it's truly my favorite. Um, yeah, because we we I already would, know what's going to happen. Um, no one's surviving this, and that's okay. No, yeah, that's okay. Like we want to see them try. <laughs> yeah, like let's see I was going to say. I was going to say that you bring up aliens and we've talked before about how much you love aliens. I love aliens. It's a whole thing. We were talking about even before the call started, how it's uh, definitely a line where don't sleep on the extended universe because you're going to find a ton of great comics and novels. And I highly recommend everybody check it out. But I was going to say to your point that, you know, what is more anti-capitalism than aliens whenever you watch mm-hmm. that those movies? You know, it's basically just like this is how the military treats people's lives as disposable. This is how we're trying to, you know, get oil shares or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like whatever pointless thing. And the cost of human life doesn't matter to these corporations, right? No. And so I think that... Yeah, there's so much commentary. So, I mean, yeah, I guess I'll just use that as a prompt and go off because I know you have something to say about it. Yeah, because I would like even because I know people like don't really like Covenant, but I will make so many arguments that Covenant is it's fine, if not even really good, because mm-hmm. AI, because that's always been a thing um, for the Alien franchise as well. Um, and I think that it's at its strongest when we can kind of focus on that a little bit. And you get this horror of David 
um, who is like, <laughs> doesn't care for Mr. Um, Waylon and is upset with, you know, him being created by this inferior being who doesn't even know who his creator is. And then it's just like, you know what? I think I want to, I want to make something myself. And like what this AI ends up creating is just this beautiful, horrific masterpiece. Um, and I know some folks, they don't really like that addition to the Lord, but I think that for me personally, I was like, you know what, this, this works because of course man's creation would then create something that is <laughs> <laughs> like perfect. Right. But also devoid of a soul and terrifying because the aliens mm-hmm. themselves, like the xenomorphs <laughs> themselves, um, they just, they're just, they're here, right? Um, and they represent so much stuff and they're beautiful. They are, you know, I don't want to say this because I don't care for Tesla, but <laughs> if, if Tesla were to make <laughs> like bioweapons, I can see like maybe they wouldn't because it there it would work right it would there would be some type of faultiness like it would be imperfect but they would like be the first to make something that was close to a xenomorph that just wouldn't work out <laughs> the story of creating aliens is a wild story because geiger the artist geiger who did the designs mm-hmm. for the aliens was such a subversive artist, you know, was a world famous artist, but was also known for being, you know, banned often and, you know, was considered to be too far out. And so they really had to fight to get that design cleared, right? They had to fight for their budget when it comes to aliens. It turned out to be such a surprise whenever it was a smash success people were like not prepared for this movie to be huge. And I was thinking about that because it is kind of, you know, when I watch it, I'm just like, this is such a, oh, it's like you would never see this now, right? Like the chance that people take with that level of a budget would be very difficult to see now. But it's always great when it happens and it's not just a retread, right? So I was Mm -hmm. like, that's kind of what's interesting about how film has changed almost Film, also a horror industry, Um, but it's basically just that is, is that they have kind of, they take less chances now, but even then it was a fight to get one of the biggest franchises that we know today into existence. Wild stuff. Yeah, and unfortunate too, because um, you're right about the lack of chances. And again, maybe that's why I'm just like from like the 80s, or maybe like mid-70s. And I'll push this to 2005. Um, The creature features in itself, um, you got just some cool designs that stand out. And more recently, the only thing that I can just kind of think of that put me in that same mindset is underwater, which is Mm. kind of like aliens, um, but down in the water, but still original enough where I'm not thinking that this is a retread. I'm not thinking that this is yeah. just a rehash. It's just beautiful. Um, there's another. That's a really horror. good movie. And then there's yeah. that, like the ending, which is very like weirdly pro oil industry. <laughs> where yeah. You're just like, what's happening? <laughs> it's like the last like three minutes of the movie doesn't match the rest of the movie. No. I feel like, uh, like the like, network execs came in and were like, you've got to tag this on because otherwise we're going to like, you know, our sponsors yeah. are dropping <laughs> or something. I can't say that is like all me just making that up. But I, whenever I was watching it, I remember the very, very end being like, what? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> but everything else is great. Like it really is a beautiful movie. So I know I know what you mean by that. Like it, it's another one though where I didn't believe the ending. I was like, okay, how did you get out of this? <laughs> yeah. Did you read um, there's a book called Our Wives at, at the Bottom of the Sea, I think is the name of it. And it's a novel that was it to me, it reminded me a lot of underwater because oh. it was a woman. The way that the story plays out is a woman, her wife has come back from the bottom of the sea. So it's almost like the end of, you know, underwater going into a novel in a way. But it's her wife comes back from this voyage to the bottom of the sea. And then the corporation cuts them off and like won't even talk to them anymore. And her wife starts to transform. And their relationship is like over, but she's trying. They have this like profound sense of loyalty. And it's kind of about having to say goodbye because the person you love is undergoing these changes and it's just like a very fascinating book. But anybody who watched Underwater and was like, this is awesome. I wonder what would happen after this. I think that that book kind of, it's not a direct adaptation. I don't know what the author would think. I don't know if the author has seen Underwater. But yeah. to me, it was like, oh, this is kind of like the continuation of, of it where you know, even though she gets out, there's all of these horrible things that happen later because the corporation who sent her to the bottom of the sea shockingly doesn't care about her <laughs> as a person, right? Now I'm going to have to find that immediately because I absolutely want to read that. Um, and it's, it's a short you, read and you won't yeah. be able to put it down. <laughs> okay. That makes me excited because there was another movie. I was trying to think of the name of it. It I think it was a Norwegian film. But it maybe 2021. I feel like this was like, yeah, it hasn't been 2021. I think it was on Hulu. Um, it came out a little around the time or a little after Sputnik, which I also love a lot. Um, that's mm -hmm. another great one. But they're at sea and um, this is kind of like leaning into like the pandemic and everything where... Um, there are these sea creatures. Um, so like there's a boat at sea, they're doing some research or whatever, and something gets into the water that is on the boat and people start getting infected, mm -hmm. but no one wants to say anything about them. Like, if, cause if you get infected, like you, you gotta be put down. So it becomes this mm -hmm. thing of, are people are going to fess up about being sick or are they going to stay quiet until they can be rescued because self-preservation, um, it sees mm, something. And, and having just lived through this with the yes. pandemic, I think I know the answer. <laughs> um, yeah. And it, and like, it basically ends with, uh, I think it's like maybe two or three survivors. And it's just like, okay, so like, are we going to, are we going to be honest here? And no, they're mm. not going to be honest at all. No. Uh, and who knows? So it ends with, hey, do they go back on land and like infect everybody with this? And I think that they do. So mm. horror again, um, reflections of life. <laughs> and mm -hmm. seeing that movie like just a year into the pandemic was um, very, I don't want to say necessarily triggering, but if anything, it was just like, oh, uh, well, we know what that's like. Uh, so the whole zombie apocalypse, like how did that happen? It's because someone got bit and they're not going to tell you that they got bit. So then they change mm -hmm. and then the next person gets bit. And then here we are uh, living in Dawn of the Dead. So what 
What's your favorite holiday? Which one would you rate five stars? And which one would you rate zero stars? Halloween, of course. Oh, a five star holiday. Yeah, that's not a bad one. Now, which one would you rate zero stars? Christmas. That's a deep cut because we talked about this in a prior episode, a Patreon episode about Star Trek, where we discovered that you really don't like Christmas, but also that none of us really like Christmas all that much. So I'm going to say zero stars for me as well. Maybe one star because I like the hats, but (laughs) that's all I got. You got a good hat on your holiday, and I'm going to probably have to give it at least one star. So there's other things that you can rate, review. For instance, you could rate and review this podcast. We don't pretend to like Christmas, and we never will, but (laughs) you could rate and review us if you would like. And if you were to rate and review us, you could say something like, your rabbits are beautiful, and I hope you have a happy life, and this podcast is my favorite podcast I've ever listened to. And I'll be like, that's great. Five stars. Five star review. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I gotta tell you, I've written probably three stories where I was like, oh, this is straight up just a pandemic allegory. (laughs) Yeah. You think about it because it's like you're not even trying. But the way that that kind of, to me, broke my brain a little bit because it was like before that, I think I still had, there was a level of faith in humanity that I think Mm -hmm. is slightly decreased, I'm gonna say, just based on the fact that we watched people who were literally fighting, you know, to not have to wear masks and things. Yeah. And that to me was like, I guess I I guess that that's it, right? Because in the zombie movie, nobody's fighting to become a zombie. But that's the part where we fail as creatives is, is that there's always something a little bit worse that humans would be willing to do and than what I can imagine, right? Because I'm just a person trying to live my life generally. Yes. So I was thinking like, oh, that's where zombie movies kind of failed us because they never warned us, you know, is like such a commentary on society at every turn. They never said, oh, but people will be like fighting for the right of zombies to eat you, you know, and things mm-hmm. like that. Like that, I didn't think about that, I guess, before. <laughs> I and then either. whenever the pandemic happened, it was like, oh, people would fight to become zombies and to eat your brains and would be like, you're impeding my rights if you try to 
tell me not to spread the zombie virus or whatever. <laughs> yes. um, it's just like kind of a, mm, that's bleak, but yeah, this is, this is where horror, you see, and yeah, I want to say that I think that horror is actually a very optimistic genre. <laughs> oh, it and absolutely people, is. People argue with you, right? And they're like, no, it's so bleak and it's so ugly and messy and violent. And it's like, yes, it is all of those things, but it actually takes death seriously, which most things don't. Um, mm-hmm. mo- like what, the MCU? No, that did not take death seriously. You know, like there's there's rom-coms, no, you know, like any genre of film, you know, the mentor dies or whatever. It's not taken very seriously. It's not seen as horror in and of itself. Which, you know, to varying degrees, death is essentially very horrific. And you can make peace with it, etc. But, you know, it's a rough thing. Whenever you watch a horror movie and it gives you that final girl who makes it to the end, or it gives you this kind of happy ending, or if it tells you, you know, this and this and this, and it's always just like, to me, horror is pretty optimistic. And you see that in a lot of the horror movies because something like Underwater, where it's like somehow she gets out of this, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, how though? That doesn't make any sense. And a lot of times they're kind of adding a moral to the story that we don't get in real life. There's no moral to the pandemic. The pandemic hurt a lot of people. It continues to hurt people. Our government failed us completely, with the pandemic and there's no accountability for that in life. Whereas if it were a movie, it would be like, here's how the comeuppance happens or like, here's the person who did a horrible thing, who gets punished in the narrative, you know, like an old tales from the crypt comic or something. It's like, Oh, the wife like murdered the husband, but now the husband's back to kill her, you know, or something like that. And that to me is actually very moral. compared to what our actual lived experiences are, which sometimes you really just can't wrap up in that kind of a package. A lot of times the horror of our lives is so open-ended and you really have to make peace with it yourself. But that's what I think. Uh, Yeah, once again, not a question, simply a prompt. (laughs) What do you think (laughs) of that? I love it. Um, And I, again, like even like I break up with um, the horror that I will watch, but like I don't seek it out. And it's the more demonic possession, spiritual stuff. Like there are still rules to that. Um, Mm -hmm. There are certainly rules. And it still is pretty religious. Yes. Like it's pretty pro-religion for the most part. Like the exorcist is, I would say, pretty pro-religion. Yeah, but like there's rules to it. Um, so if there's rules to it, then there there is a way that I mean, maybe you don't necessarily win, but like there is some conclusion to the thing, or there's some type of payback or retribution or whatever that can happen. Um, where other things are just kind of left open ended, and I think that's another reason. Like when people say they have comfort horrors, they are being very serious. Um, because there is a yeah. lot of comfort that you can find in a story uh, where. The thing that should happen does happen. So that that jerk that was on the phone um, mm-hmm. in the middle of Starbucks and like giving, and then like when it was finally his, he was being rude. He finally gets up there. He gives like this insane order to the barista and then doesn't tip. <laughs> but then as soon as he walks out of yeah. his final destination, he gets hit by a, hit by like a, a bus that's speeding. <laughs> like it. It happens like bad things happen to bad folks. Sometimes bad things happen to good folks who let, who turned a blind eye and weren't necessarily or didn't think of themselves as bad, but 
um, because they figured that this thing was not their business, um, they find out, well, yeah, just because it's not affecting you directly doesn't mean that you should ignore it. So mm-hmm. when people, like, when I say that there are comfort movies and horror for me, like, uh, it's definitely because something's going to happen that needs to happen. And I and I can find peace and comfort in that same thing with... Um, either manga or comics, or I guess segueing to that, Junji Ito was not, I did not see myself um, getting into any of his stuff because I would see like some like still shots and stuff like that, especially like on Tumblr when I was on there. Oh yeah, like, there's t-shirts. Like, yeah, everywhere. and like I, like, I don't know. And then um, when the next, the Netflix uh, anime or whatever, based on um, some of his stories, hit earlier this year I was like you know I think I watched it so I put it on like as a background thing and the next thing I know like I binged it all and I just loved it because there was a fearlessness in the storytelling to push the envelope but do it so in a way that was intentional and not just hey we're doing this for shock value type of thing and then I went and I was like well now that I'm done with this let me find if there's any more anime. Once I blew my way through that, I was like, okay, now it's time to like get into the manga. And the stories range from disturbing as hell to disturbing mm-hmm. as hell, but also beautifully poignant. Uh, there's a story mm-hmm. where <laughs> this woman is uh, living with her husband and um, his parents. And like the husband is like growing distant from her. And you're thinking like, man, he's the bad guy here. Um, but by the end of the story, you find out the wife has been dead this entire time, but the mm-hmm. husband and his family have the ability when they get together to bring a loved one, like a, kind of like a, a soul projection of this loved one. So they can like interact, but they all they can, they can only stay like around the house mm-hmm. and she died tragically. The husband begged, uh, for them to bring her back. And she was like, is he being distant? Um, it seemed like he was cheating on her, but the, the, we find out that she's been dead this whole time and he was just trying to, um, you know, I guess, serve out his vows or whatever and wasn't necessarily ready to uh, let her go. Because I think you only have seven years for the apparition to, like, stay intact. That shit made me cry <laughs> by mm-hmm. the end of it because, you know, it's a story about, you know, letting go and um understanding that like through death um that is just it's a part of life and a part of you know grief in itself is that you know it's gonna there that that's a hole that will never be filled but like there's a chance to grow stuff around it so I was like man Junji like are you doing weird stuff absolutely but you're doing weird (laughs) stuff intentionally and I just I loved it in a way that I did not expect. Same thing with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, which oh. a lot of people don't necessarily consider that horror, but there are so many horror elements, There's especially some horror body horror. In there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of... It's yeah, like, for it's sure. It's horrific. Yeah. Um, so, like, getting oh, into and that... and who does body horror better than Japanese creators? <sighs> like, the manga <sighs> genre is, in some ways, truly built on it. I was just actually reading a book called uh, The River Imp and the Stinky Jewel. 
And that book is just collecting old school, like very old, (laughs) um, like the monster encyclopedia, all of these Japanese monster stories. It's really good. It's really funny. It's all fart jokes, like a (laughs) hundred percent and horror, you know, horror and fart jokes in equal measure, pretty much. And I was like, this is providing me with context because (laughs) I've seen a ton of Japanese horror and I'm just like, there are these kind of things where you see long ago, people have been just building on it and building on it, right? Over the years. And now we have Chainsaw Man, (laughs) you know, and stuff (laughs) like that, where you're just like, that's awesome. I can see like the trajectory a little bit better now. But, you know, Junji Ito is, you can't argue with the importance of his work. Don't sleep on horror manga. If you're a horror fan, I did for years. I didn't always like, I didn't have a lot of like access, I guess, to manga whenever I was growing up. You know, don't sleep on that stuff because if you like Junji Ito, there's so many more to choose from. I just got a hardcover of this comic called Parasite, which is (laughs) a parasite that takes over. You know this one? Yeah. Yes. It's so good. It's so good. I was losing my mind and it came out in the 80s and I had never heard of it. So I was glad that they did this this recollection of it. Same. Um, It's just so, it's so good. Even even good old Western comics uh, sometimes Mm -hmm. gets into it. I was not expecting to. So Sam and we 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 briefly we brought up before um, we started recording. I was like, oh, I always right. kind of forget that that clearly duh is a horror, but I don't know. I I just it always slips my mind. It absolutely is. But I was gonna say for like capes and types comics, uh, eh, sometimes you get some horror, and it is because like in the case and types world people die all the time especially superheroes and right. they come back so like there is like Krakow is a horror story for sure <laughs> oh for sure um and sometimes I wish they would have leaned a little bit more in the Same. horror element during that era but that's neither here nor there uh but I was gonna yeah. bring a uh, freaking deceased um I was not going to I wasn't gonna check it out but a friend was telling me about it. I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I absolutely loved it. And I read like all the tie-ins, everything, um, because it was a true horror. Um, I was terrified of Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. She was the scariest one of mm-hmm. uh, out of all of them because it's this thing where we're not even doing like the silly thing with like a Homelander in the boys or any of that. These are characters who, you know, are supposed to be you know, good. And this is what happens when they aren't that because it's an, it's an, it's an effort to, you know, be good and use your powers, uh, in a way that is helpful. Um, sometimes if they're not mm-hmm. helpful, but in this, in deceased, you get to see what that looks like when there is no moral compass is void of it because they're not necessarily zombies, but they're like, undead which is different from zombies as i've been learning the difference and (laughs) terrifying like again like wonder woman is simply horrific because you see like well yes yeah if diana wasn't who she is then we would all be in deep crap (laughs) 
Oh, because so many Wonder Woman stories rely on Diana and so many DC stories in general rely on Diana being the incorruptible one, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think too, whenever they did Final Crisis and she became the leader of the female Furies for a hot second, that imagery was terrifying as well because you're just like, oh no, that's the opposite of her, you know? So It's wild whenever you see Wonder Woman used for horror, but I did want to bring it up because Nubia, right? We talked Mm -hmm. obviously about the role of Medusa in the Nubia comic that you wrote. And I was kind of thinking like anytime Medusa shows up in something, that's an automatic horror story. The reason I remember the Clash of the Titans as a horror movie is because of that epic, wonderful Medusa scene, right? Because it's scary as hell. And I love the Medusa, but I was thinking that, yeah, pretty much anytime she shows up. So I would like to talk again. I don't remember if we talked about this part last time when we were talking about Medusa. What was it about Medusa that really made you want to put, you know, like, why was that character something so important for this comic? Because I know that you have a lot to draw from whenever you're looking at DC, particularly wonder, uh, uh, particularly underexplored Wonder Woman villains. That Mm -hmm. is a huge genre in and of itself because she has a lot of great villains that people just haven't done anything with. So I was wondering, yeah, why was Medusa such a, because it's like the covers are like popping through my mind right now because they're iconic. I will never forget those images, right? Yeah. But I was curious why Medusa, and was that part of your creature feature love, Mm -hmm. (laughs) was seeing Medusa in a Nubia comic? Absolutely. Um, Because I was like, oh, Medusa gives me an opportunity to do this whole creature feature thing. But like... The mascara in itself is kind of horrific because anything that is dubbed a paradise is not truly like a paradise. Mm -hmm. It's all perspective. And Doom's doorway, like being underneath there, like, oh, yeah, this is absolutely a horror story waiting to happen. And it's horrific for Medusa because she is held captive in like this monster jail, essentially, um, because... She was just not the one picked by the gods, specifically Athena, um, right. and was punished for the same thing that the women that are on this island were given new life um, for. And she also mm. fell in man's world, um, and specifically like to a very terrible man who was a god, um, Poseidon. And Athena, in why patriarchy is able to like persist in the way that it does because it's upheld by many people, not just me. It's upheld by Athena, actually, <laughs> in yeah, like right? every story that yes. she appears in. Because you're like, damn, Athena, what did you do that to Callisto for? You know, it's yes. like there's so many parts. Because Greek mythology is just all horror stories, yes. for sure. Like it, more than almost anything. I mean, honestly, any mythology, right? You know, it's yeah. like you're getting into just pure horror stories at that point. But, exactly. So um, I think of that and like, of course, like her beauty is like, because that's the that's the trope that, that is just like, you're going to get that where someone very beautiful is then like their punishment is to be made into a literal monster or disfigured in some way. And like, that's essentially what mm, happens to but- her. So mm-hmm. for me, like if Nubia was, she was champion of Doom's doorway, she's now queen. I'm like, okay, well, this is a monster, quotation marks around that, that she's going to have to handle a little bit differently than if she was 
still like champion of doom's doorway but like how is she dealing with that right because now you have to question your role in all of this and that is something horrific because you know you're thinking that this thing that you're doing is for the betterment but that's not all the way true because they're like it's not as black and white as the bad things are down here the good things are above no it's a little bit more gray than that so in the so like chapter not chapter five but issue five where we have Medusa like fully transform into this monstrous um, being, um, which I was so happy that it turned out the way they did. Like they really mm-hmm. did her thing on that. Um, I was like, okay, so yeah, how do we like do? How do we face this head on? And for a lot of creature features that I've really enjoyed, it wasn't just sometimes it's a hack and slash situation, but I like the ones where we're trying to see what humanity is left in this quote unquote monster and what monstrous um, attributes are actually in this, this person that is supposed to be an embodiment of humanity and how they are not so different. Um, Again, perspective. So I was like, ooh, I get to do a little horror thing. Even recently in the night, uh, the night terrors um, event, uh, I got to go full horror. This was like right. definitely coming out of my Gigi you know thing. I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm Gaia. Yeah. Gaia I wanted to actually toxic. bring this up. Yeah. Okay. Because, <laughs> yeah, because I actually was just now reading the Night Terror <laughs> uh, thing. And honestly, DC in general has done a lot of horror crossovers, right? Because mm-hmm. I was thinking like Darkest Night whenever I was a kid. Um, actually, I wasn't a kid. I was probably in my 20s, I guess, when Darkest Night <laughs> came out. To me, now I'm 40, so that is like early childhood in my yeah. mid-20s. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about this a little bit and wanted to hear, I guess, wh- what, you know, what was at play here? I might have just interrupted you to ask oh, the question God. that you were about ready to go on. <laughs> but yeah, Night of Terrors has been really fun so far. So I'd love to hear more about it. Yeah, um, editor uh, Brittany Holzer, who worked, I uh, worked with her on Nubia and some other stuff, was like, hey, Steph, so like, do you want to write some more Nubia? I was like, yeah. So she told me about the event. And the way that it was told to me was like Freddy Krueger meets DC. And I was like, you could have just led with that. Because that sounds, that sounds great. Um, so I was like, I don't know how connected my story needs to be to this. She was like, no, like, just what would Nubia's nightmare look like? And I was like, oh, great. Because um, what would any Amazon's nightmare kind of look like who's on that island? And let's just tap back into the gods and more specifically the Titans. Um, So I thought of Gaia and like if she was just like the toxic Avenger in look, but also just this horrific being that is just all consuming and selfish and all of these things. And Nubia kind of had to face her head on. So much fun because I got to get into the body horror of it all. And like it was just kind of it was a fun quick little story or whatever but like I really love the idea of being able to play with um what if again like what was down below the well of souls where Nubia came out of was the source of her horror and Gaia's down there eating up all the souls and also um eating on the monsters down in uh Doom's doorway too because she ate up all the souls so now she's got to move on to that like that's it's pretty horrifying, especially for this queen who mm. is supposed to be keeping everyone safe. But, you know, she can't even save the souls that are in the well. 
<laughs> because she, you know, that the horror of that right here, one of the souls that was able <laughs> to get out of that. So now you got um, survival guilt on top of that. So I tried to pack all of these things into like this two part story that was only eight pages <laughs> each. But, you know, I was like, hey, you give me the chance to go for it. So I'm going to do what I can um, and really lean into some of these things that, again, like when I'm reading a horror or watching something, just kind of playing with this very, I don't like human, even sometimes mundane aspects of our lives and showing the actual horror of looking on the inside and like not necessarily seeing what, liking what you see or dealing with guilt. Survivor's, survivor's guilt is mm-hmm. horrifying in itself. Yeah. There's so much with Wonder Woman that is horror. Mm-hmm. I mean, Cheetah is horror. That's just a horror story straight up. And yeah. More so as time goes on. But that is straight. Like Even in the 80s with Barbara Minerva, that was, you know, a classic Tales from the Crypt, be careful what you wish for kind mm-hmm. of story. You know, this horrible woman goes and <laughs> tries to, you know, harness the power of these like African legends and it really hurts her to do so. She becomes monstrous, but she was, was she a monster before? Kind of, you know, so mm-hmm. it's a very interesting story. But to me, it's like, I don't, Batman is considered to be a character that lends himself to horror, these kind of urban horror stories, which I think is real and true and you know, all these great Batman horror stories exist. But why not Wonder Woman? Why doesn't she get that credit? Because there's so many horror stories and particularly body horror, right? Because Cersei turning people into animals, you know, uh, Medusa, as you mentioned, you know, like even, as I say, Barbara Minerva is all body horror, you know, it's endless with, with the Wonder Woman franchise, how much body horror is intrinsic to that story and so i'm always like why don't we have black label horror wonder woman (laughs) you know there is that's what i want yeah there is one um wonder woman dead earth um because that's another right right dead earth yes but we don't get anything we don't really get too much more after that which is unfortunate because to your point like this is a side of the dc universe that actually would lend itself excellently to horror because you got the greek guys involved too and we just said like (laughs) when are they if not um horror like i mean you think about the video games and the first set of god of war games those are Uh the body horror and that is astounding um and it is horrific that's it yeah and it's wonderful but dead earth was something that i still hold near and dear to my heart because i love that that's another story where you see Again, like if Diana doesn't hold on to all that she is and just kind of says, eh, well, I did what I could and then forget about the rest of humanity because of what you guys have done to my sisters, things mm-hmm. kind of continue to be really horrific. Um, so, And I think that's another reason like for like superhero stuff when we have the things like the boys, um, even Invincible to an extent, where it's just like, what if he, what if, what if superheroes were terrible? And it's kind of like, and they're like, oh, they would crush cool. everybody's heads like pumpkins. And yeah, know, it's, it's just, basically kind of like a surface level read in some ways. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say like, well, yeah, but like, that's what villains are for. But also like they're superheroes because they make the daily effort every single day to get up and say, hey, 
I am going to do the the tough thing here, which is to help people sometimes that either don't deserve my help um, or I'm going to like, I'm going to try my best. And like, of course, the people that don't deserve my help, that there's variables to that, um, right? Because like, where mm-hmm. do you draw that line? But I like that's that's why there's that's why they're superheroes because they're they're making that concerted effort to um, be the best and whatever that is that they can be. And on the flip side of it, like with Spider Man and Doc Ock, the reason why Spider Man Two the movie works so well to me is because you get to see like Peter and um you know Doc Ock, Octavius, like they are kind of on the same coin. Um, they're just on different sides. Oh, yeah. And but that's what makes them just so beautiful um, and fitting together as like, quote unquote, villain, sometimes anti-hero and hero and why it, mm-hmm. it works. Um, so, you know, comics is a great space for horror. And I'm happy that horror yes. exists. Uh, <laughs> I was just thinking of like Victor Lavelle's Destroyer. And like that is a Frankenstein, yes. Frankenstein retelling, which is just like very beautiful, nice house on the lake. By, um, oh by yeah, King. yeah. Like yeah, yeah. these, these are all really great things. And like the, the beautiful thing about it is, like visually, it's there. Because horror novels, I will read. There was a there was an there was a point where like I was, especially like on Audible too, where I was finding stuff mm. and got audiobooks like a, are yeah. my savior. I read oh, so much so, more because audiobooks oh, exist Lord. because I'm always walking around doing random stuff. Oh. So it's yeah. like pop that <laughs> audiobook on because now you're going to be able to read and this means not that you're not going to read otherwise because I feel like people act very ridiculous where they're like, "Well, that's not actually reading" or something and it's like, "Shut your mouth." But <laughs> I think because that Because if you quiz me it's on it, I can that, answer the questions. Right? Yes. And like I'm retaining knowledge in the, pretty yeah. much the exact same way. However, it's like also it's kind of messed up because people have like dys- or dyslexia and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like, of course, they should be able to have audiobooks. anyway, off off the off topic a little bit. But yeah. I was going to say that audiobooks are wonderful for horror, particularly mm-hmm. because a lot of times uh god what was it uh beloved by tony morrison i listened to tony morrison read beloved and i was like this is a completely different book than i thought it was okay i read it before (laughs) and then when i listened to her say it i was like oh my god (laughs) there's so much more to this than i thought and so in a lot of ways audio can make things even scarier right yeah because also like you have I don't know, like you have times that like let your imagination run wild. I don't know what it is about. Well, yeah, I do. Because like when I was younger and like either my parents reading to me or like a teacher or something like that, um, you were able to just really focus on what was being said and let your imagination run wild. And horror, like yeah. horror books, like novels, especially like I really love to listen on like the audio version because... I'm scared. Like I'm looking over my, like I'm doing laundry and like looking over my shoulder. (laughs) It's very, um, Mm -hmm. are you afraid of the dark? Uh, which mm-hmm. like campfire story type of situation. Love that stuff. Yeah. I love it because yeah, I am thinking the absolute worst. And when it comes to horror comics, (laughs) 
I can't, I mean, like I can think worse than like the stuff that's not happening on the panels, but like you get to like, it's there. So your imagination can only go so far, but like listening to a horror reading or listening to a horror novel or novella or whatever, it's a, it's a great experience. Again, uh, uh, you know, we're not being paid for this, but plug to check out the, <laughs> the broader alien world uh, or universe uh, through the audiobooks or just the regular novels because, wow, it gets it gets a little to be fair, very scary. As, yes. To be fair, as the two strongest proponents for this franchise that I can think of, I think that we should be getting paid for this. Yes. <laughs> because I was like, who loves this franchise more than me and you? I, nobody else talks to me about it. So <laughs> I think it's just me and you. If somebody asked me to identify the demographic for Aliens Extended Universe, I'd be like, well, me and Stephanie Williams, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I always kind of think like, oh, that's the demographic for you all to like aim for right yeah (laughs) but I was thinking too that it was just uh it is so good and it's because a lot of the stuff that they can't delve into in a 90 minute or two hour movie you get to flesh out and so the horror of being in these army situations you know Vasquez we know Vasquez dies and so that's another one where at the beginning of the book you know the ending and it still is such a good book so yeah, everybody got to check out. And same with the comics and everything. I think that Aliens is just ridiculously good. I, there's missteps. Don't get me wrong, oh, right? Yeah, like, there's moments where it's like, don't read that one. Don't read that one. If it says Chuck Dixon on the cover, don't read it. But I also am just like, what surprises me is how much they can dig into. Because I think at a surface reading, people could see the presence of the military in Aliens as something not necessarily to question. Mm-hmm. but it's it's so is important and baked into it right because yeah. it's like the way that they're treated as disposable and that is a evergreen topic whenever it comes yeah. to the military because i feel like people have this idea that a certain level of human casualty is okay because we need a military and i always think that that is a messed up way of looking okay. at the world but i also am just like well, let's get into it. And I think that Aliens is actually a franchise that gets into it pretty good. You know, it it shows what kind of people are joining the military, why they're joining the military, and why this is still somehow a better option than working at a fast food chain for the rest of your life. Not to say that that is not a valid career because it is, but I get it, right? Like, yeah. you, if you are, if, I can say, speak for myself and say, the idea of showing up to the same place every day for the rest of my life is the worst nightmare that you could have, right? Like if it's a job, mm-hmm. you're supposed to be there 40 hours a week. That's nuts to me. So that is the horror story. So it's like, I was always very anti-military even as a kid. I grew up, you know, Reagan. Yeah. <laughs> I was born when Reagan was in the office. So most of my life has been me very much questioning military presence. But I knew people whenever I was, you know, a teenager who were very sold on the lies of the military, you know, oh, you won't have to pay for college. Your mom won't have to worry about her rent anymore. You know, like all of these things. And that's aliens. That's what the franchise is in a lot of ways is discussing people, especially I think in the Vasquez book, you get a breakdown of why somebody like Vasquez would join 
this military and, you know, also subsequently why it's so easy to write somebody like that off if you're the military, right? And so I was just kind of stunned by thinking about that a little bit and being like, I don't know. I don't think it's given credit for this, but I think Aliens is a franchise that is so successful at questioning the omnipresent nature of the military, especially the U.S. military, Mm -hmm. in a way that made me be like, actually... Maybe part of the part of the anti-war messaging I got as a kid was alien. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, um, and then even more so, like anti-capitalist too, because like what happens when the military is no longer really run by the government and it's all private mm-hmm. sector and how yeah, it's even, all privatized. Yeah, and like how like how much more scary that is, even like science to a degree as well because in this universe there's like Willy Utani, there's Sikhs in, there's other um like these scientific research already unlike situations and the fact that mm, really don't care. Like also terraforming everything, um what it looks like for humans to go out and like colonize planets and how mm-hmm. maybe we start somewhere new but it's still the same thing because these systems are We're still, still humans yeah, still human <laughs> yeah and like all of these systems are still in place they're just like intergalactic now and then also space mm-hmm. where no one can hear you scream so all of these, it's just famously like no one can hear you scream. <laughs> yes. so like it's all these these perfect things i even like dead space um like, that is one of my favorite video games. Now, can I play it? Mm. Absolutely not, because I'm just too scaredy <laughs> pants. However, I can watch people play it at nauseum, and I have. And that's another world where we get science fiction mixed in with, like, this religion, religious aspect and, of course, horror across the board uh, with the marker and all of that. But that's another one. You're out in space. Um, and you're fighting like <laughs> these reanimated beings and there's this marker that's there that has like a whole cult behind it. And you're dealing with the people who are trying to continue to make that a thing. So like you got the monsters, you got the people or the people that are not monsters yet. Are actually, the, the, the real monsters here. Um, and again, that's why the feature features rule because hardly ever is creature really the the monster there it's the right yeah it's like everything that happened to make that monster actually be actually be the the, the evil thing so um yeah yeah i can yeah. go all day I, no for sure it's like that with you too it's like every time i talk to you i'm like let's just talk for the rest of our lives but um <laughs> it's always fun but i was thinking too that i was yeah i Whenever my book came out, we were talking, I was talking with uh, Essie and Danny Lore on this podcast. I don't remember what episode, but I'm interviewed on one of the episodes of Bitches on Comics. And it was basically, there was something that Danny said, they put it in perspective for me in a way that I had never really thought about. But it was basically that there are a lot of monsters in my story, but it's almost more that the hard thing in the story is accepting the monstrous as being something that's actually an improvement on mm-hmm. the on like what the status quo was, right? And so it's like, to me, you look at something like Alien and the Xenomorphs and the Xenomorphs just are, you know, it's, it's we're coming in on them, right? Like that yeah. doesn't necessarily, we're not in the right there. We're not in the right to go bother the Xenomorphs. <laughs> that's yeah. not great. 
obviously, you know, Ripley is in a bad situation and doesn't want to be there either. So that's, it's a horror story for her, obviously, because she can't seem to escape the situation. And she's like, I don't think we should ever go back to deal with the xenomorphs. I hate the xenomorphs. Like, we can't win against them, right? And I love that because it's like, yeah, people ignoring her and stuff like that tends to be kind of what the horror story of it is. But then it's also this idea that there, the monster isn't the monster, as you say. You know, it's like usually just something where if you were going to, you, you're supposed to just accept its existence and steer clear, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which they cannot do in a franchise like Aliens, not just to keep the franchise going, but because that's the commentary of it is we got to go poke it with a stick and then we're going to get our faces bitten off. (laughs) And that's like, that's the human desire. Right. And so like when you were on and we talked about, you know, uh, life, is that the name of that movie that Ryan Reynolds? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's it. The horror of that movie is people are fucking ridiculous. (laughs) Like it's not that necessarily that this creature existed, but that we couldn't stop literally poking it with a stick, which is what happens in that movie. They poke (laughs) Caleb with a stick. And Caleb is like, absolutely not, never. And comes back at them so hard that it's something that they had never thought of. But them kind of trying to give him a name that's all cute. And here's our little buddy and all of this. To me, that's the fatal flaw of humanity at every turn. And I think that so much of horror, so much of this kind of commentary is basically being like, the monster is just there. You don't have to go engage with the monster for the most part, unless it's something like Dracula who's coming to your shore and is going to come after you. But nine times out of ten, you can avoid the monster entirely. Yeah, if you (laughs) just mind your business and leave it alone. (laughs) Just leave the xenomorphs alone. What, okay, so I have to ask you, have you read the, this is such a sidebar, have you read the Vamprilla Aliens crossover comic? Oh my god, no. Wait. I think that you will love it. <laughs> I'm sorry if you hear clicking um, fellow listeners because um, this is me <laughs> immediately putting this into my bookmarks. Oh, I see it. Wow. So I will be reading this as soon as we are off, because I just need to know any type of alien crossover, even alien and predator, which there Mm -hmm. is a, there was a recent um, anthology that came out. I think it was alien versus predator. I forgot like what comes after the colon, but there's a collection of stories where either on earth or different planets in different time periods too, where there have been, times where the aliens and the predators have clashed and humans have gotten in the middle of that. There was a story that stood out to me the most because I didn't think that this type of story was possible, but I'm happy that it exists. And this happens during the slave trade. And there is um, someone who is from like Florida, but like they're still considering that like Spain or whatever, or like um, a territory of Spain. And uh, he gets shipwrecked on this island and finally, and like there are xenomorphs on that island. Uh, so he's like learned how to kind of, and then these are xenomorphs who have taken over the local local fauna, which have been like these uh, primates. So like these little chimpanzees or whatever, that's scary in itself. And why xenomorphs rule? Because mm-hmm. they can take on whatever. <laughs> uh, so he's, he's been surviving this. <laughs> and then finally, um, I think, 
the predators are also on the island at the same time. So this is why this man is still alive because they're hunting, um, hunting those xenomorphs or whatever. Because he had like this thing um, to pass into adulthood where like they'll have like these xenomorph hunts or whatever. So there's another ship that mm. doesn't get shipwrecked, but they stop off, and it's a slave trade ship. On top of that, um, the uh, Dora Milaje were based on these women, um, but it's these African, um, and I'm blanking right now on their name, but they're warriors in themselves and they've been Mm -hmm. captured. So the slave traders, of course, get got these women because they are just so amazing as like warriors and tacticians are able to pretty much hold off and fend them, um, like keep the xenomorphs at bay. And uh, the predators, like, see them and, like, oh, like, holy shit, like, they, okay, they got a little something to them. So, like, let's band together. And, like, this guy that (laughs) has been shipwrecked on here on the island or whatever, he comes down. And, like, there's another guy who um, was on this slave trade ship but, like, was against it. And was like, okay, buddy, still don't understand why you're there, but okay. And basically, they all work together to uh, banish these xenomorphs or whatever. And it was a really great story because it took place Mm -hmm. in a time, that period where sometimes, like, story-wise, like, I'm not going to lie, like, I just avoid it because I'm like, what good could come out of this? Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, But Understandable. But good does come out of this because um, as the guy who shipwrecked promised, because he knew, um, I think they... I forgot what coast, um, what country uh, in Africa specifically he takes them back to, but like it's their home because he was familiar with that. So he takes them back home. They get to go back home and uh, he gets to go back to Florida uh, or as they were calling it Spain. And then he sends it to the like the evidence to the Vatican because they take like a xenomorph skull and all these other things and like. They don't say anything like they just add it to the Vatican's collection of things that they should not have, but they do have. And it was just like this really cool, (laughs) this really cool story that made sense um, in a way. And it was just really cool to, again, it's a horror story, but the horror here is actually slavery. It's not the xenomorphs and it's definitely not the predators. Um, but it's a horror story with a really great ending, like a, a happy ending, actually, which I just was not expecting um, for right. clearly lots of reasons. But um, it's a story <laughs> yeah. that I'm so happy existed because it just showed like as horror often does, it's like mm, this subject that makes you uncomfortable. Actually, if you go and you explore it, like, here's a way that you can do that. And this is why, like, it's an exploration that is needed, regardless of how uncomfortable it makes you. Like, that's the whole point, because some stories should make you very uncomfortable. Um, They need to exist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So most of history should make us pretty uncomfortable. (laughs) All of it, right? It's like, well, most of recorded history, Mm -hmm. right? Because obviously there's times before and we don't know really anything about it. Yeah. If you look at, you know, the last like 5,000 years, there's a lot of horror stories that were just real stories. Mm-hmm. If you look around today, there's horror stories everywhere all of the time. And that is what the kind of the function of horror to me is to help process in a lot of the ways that it's difficult to, right? Yes. Because it's like I have a hard time looking at the horror of the world. I think we all do. 
And so, you know, one response to that could be a comfort watch. Let's just watch something where I can just kind of not engage with it. And it's just, you know, makes me feel good, tells me nice things about the world, which is great. But it's also this idea of watching a horror story where I don't really like what's happening necessarily, right? Because that's like the big, the big thing with horror is a lot of times people will be like, you're watching all of this horrible stuff. You're going to become desensitized to real violence. And it's like, that is quite a stretch to call me desensitized to anything, quite frankly. I yeah. feel like I'm one of the most sensitive people <laughs> I've ever met. I'm like, I not to, not bragging, you know, like it's not necessarily a good thing, but... I'm like, no, I don't feel desensitized to the horrific things I see. Like, I don't feel desensitized whenever police are being, you know, violent to homeless people. You know, I don't feel desensitized to any of this. But I also can't, you, no person can live with that level of horror, right? There's Mm -hmm. so much horror in this world. We have such access to all of these stories that happen in the news every day and it's terrifying being replaced by AI is terrifying. There's just like, there's so much to it, but it's like, it's always the human crime behind it. That is the most scary to me because that's the thing. Global warming doesn't have to happen, right? It doesn't have to happen. We don't have to have nuclear bombs. Like we don't have to do any of this, but humans do it. And so there's, there's no logical reason. It's anti-logic. It's anti-human. It's anti-human <laughs> entirely, right? To have these things, to have something like a nuclear bomb is anti-human. You're going to destroy yourselves. And that is horror to me. So I think about how I can cope with that. And a lot of times it's horror. The genre is to be, let me break this down. Let me add some allegory to it so I can process it. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, it to me, it's that's how horror can be kind of a cathartic thing. You have so much horrible things happening. I mean, I, I don't want to say that, like, everybody has a shitty life, <laughs> basically, but I want to say that shitty things will happen to you in your life that you can't control. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what horror is. You know, that's genre is telling you like, yeah, this stuff is going to happen and it does matter what you do still, right? So in that way, it is optimistic because it's like even the most horrible thing that's happening in the world in the thing, nothing good comes of that, right? Mm -hmm. But they still do the right thing. They go, we're not going to get out of this. But guess what? That thing is not going to get out of this either, Yes. That's a, honestly a really moral story. <laughs> That's like a very happy story in a way because it's like they made the choice that they had to make. It's like they didn't want to die, but they made the choice that they had to make. And so I think, you know, when we think about horror, it really does have this kind of uh, surprising optimism. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, that people are capable of either being, and most of the times it boils down to being selfless. And like, this is what mm-hmm. it means um, to be an active community to the, to the broader human, um, humankind, um, which I think is like really important mm-hmm. and a very strong message. So yeah, I will also agree that horror is, um, is optimistic more times than not and way more so than the genres that we think of being optimistic because I recently watched something that was extremely depressing. Um, And it was like, I thought it was a rom-com. It was not a (laughs) rom-com. It was like Beaches Part 2. And if you've ever heard of the movie Beaches, (laughs) or if you've you've watched it, then you know how that goes. And that is something that is not optimistic (laughs) at all. But 
is billed as optimistic no. because someone takes um, a tragedy or something and decides to do something else with their life or they find inspiration through it. And I don't know, like, yeah, do, do people sometimes find inspiration from horrific things or traumatic things that happen to them? Absolutely. But it's just the thing of well, what happened if like we didn't have to deal with that, right? Like what if we did not have to find <laughs> inspiration from trauma um, or any of these things? Um, but the fact that sometimes we right. do, like that is also fucking horrific. If you think about it, like it's twisted in a way. Yeah. Um, the reason why things like inspiration um, porn, as they call it or whatever, um, like those things yeah. are just mm, far more sinister than, you know. Often Halloween. very sinister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like Michael Myers. Often very cynical, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you know, Michael Myers, you know, you know, doing what he's doing on Halloween. Mm. That's, that's a little some optimism there. You uh, finding inspiration because um, I don't know, like this this person who is is houseless has to do all of these things to go above and beyond. Like I'm thinking the movie um, The Pursuit of Happiness in order to like live oh and like how traumatic all of that is and how horrifying it is that you have to be exceptional in order to survive in this world. And like that's just not. Mm-hmm. Air. Um, that is not the case for everyone. And that is a really terrible way to think about, I guess, remedies for the systems that we live in, that you just have to be an exceptional person. And if you right. are, then you can survive. Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just have to rise above. And, you know, it's just, it's like, okay, um, yikes. <laughs> like, that is actually very cynical, you know, because yeah, again, horror has this like wonderful way of saying even the worst person or somebody who's very down on their luck can turn around and do the right thing in the end, you know, and stuff like that. So I was also going to say a funny, a funny horror story is in the song, The Wind Beneath My Wings, oh. the Beaches movie is whenever she says the words, it must have been cold in my shadow with never the light to touch your face. That is a wild thing to say to your best friend. It is. <laughs> like, like, oh my God. What? <laughs> uh, I think about that sometimes and I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, um, I would never say that. I cannot imagine. It must have been cold in my shadow with never the light to touch your face. Like, what a horrific How thing. did you survive <laughs> in the cold? This is why, like, I think, because um, I know, like, I've seen a lot of these, like, on YouTube or TikTok where you'll have movies like that that are supposed to be optimistic and then someone will put a horror spin on it. I want to see the reverse of that. I want to see one do like an <laughs> optimistic thing with a ho- like a movie that is very clearly a horror, but like spin it so that it seems like <laughs> this really optimistic, great thing. Because I feel like that in itself would work better and would be stronger than um, the reverse. So if you all feel so inclined and you want to do that, please tag me. I, I, like, I want to see it. Cause like yeah. I can see a beautiful spin on aliens happening and like, I would eat that right on. Up. Yes. Yeah. The funny thing about aliens is after I discovered that Ripley was supposed to be an, a lesbian, always, I oh, had this, like, yeah. I have this funny thing where every time I watch it now, I'm just like, do you think that she misses her girlfriend in this scene? <laughs> I like irritate my brother. My brother is a big fan of aliens and he was watching the remaster pretty recently. And I was just like, what do you think that she's thinking about her wife right now? And he's like, shut up. <laughs> You're ruining the 
movie. <laughs> I'm like, do you think that she misses her girlfriend? So I'm like, she, she has to. And again, and that's a horror story in and of itself. <laughs> yes. And also another reason to get the into the military made you leave your wife. Yes. Um, for work that, oh, cause they promised you overtime. Cause that's always the thing. Overtime and extra pay for putting your life at risk, um, in a way that, mm, quite frankly is not not worth it so another reason to get into the broader too worth it yeah alien universe because uh there are stories that feature all kinds of folks um and like you do get a nice Mm -hmm. queer aspect in the broader universe that i think just suits it so well but again like we can continue to like oh i think so too yeah right um it just that's it yeah it just works but um but yeah, I think I you know what? have yeah. run out of things to talk about, but not because I want to. It's just that this will be a five, <laughs> a five hour. And I know you, you dear listener, would love, yes. That's the thing with talking to you specifically. Our entire friendship is 100% based on nerd thing. What about, what about, talk, 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 talk. And so it's always wonderful, but then it is, it's like, it's so funny because after I'm done talking with you, I feel like I've run a marathon because like <laughs> I'm here talking with my hands, yelling, yes. you know, every time you say something, I'm having a intense emotional reactions. Like, yes, let's talk more about aliens. Oh my God. Do you remember the movie beaches? Whenever Bette Midler's the actual nightmare person <laughs> and like, it just goes on like this. And so by the time we make it to the end of a 90 minute call, first of all, we talked for like an hour before the call started. And then you make it to a certain point where it's just like, all right, well, I believe that we've said all we can say, but only because physically we're starting to get tired, Um, (laughs) which is great. And I hope that it, I hope that it translates to people who listen because I know that you were one of our most beloved guests and, you know, on a personal level, I just, I will invite you on anytime you want to talk about nerd stuff for 90 minutes. Like that is, it's to me, heaven on earth, wonderful way for us to spend a Tuesday morning, but um, which is what time it is right now, by the way, it's like Tuesday afternoon now, but we started in the morning. (laughs) But (laughs) basically we do have to wrap up at a certain point. There's no good place to end these calls because we start in a place where it's like everything. And then we end in a place where it's like everything times 10. So, you know, as much as that is the case, we'll go ahead and wrap it up a little bit. So I did want to ask, of course, last time you were here, we talked about the unsung heroes of the multiverse for DC. And, you know, you you continue to write. <laughs> you continue to write even after books and comics and so many things. So I always want to say everybody should check out literally everything. At this point, I'm like your biggest fan, but I also am like, Oh, I miss things sometimes. Like I, I yeah, really have to follow easy. you because there's so much stuff that you do, which is great. Like that's awesome. It's like the the best problem to have, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, Stephanie wrote actually a story I didn't even know that you wrote. <laughs> and I have to go track it down. But that's nice. You know, it's nice to see so much um, work coming from you. So I wanted to ask, is there anything else you'd like to plug? I do want to say that Unsung Heroes of the DC Multiverse is a hundred percent also full of horror stories uh, yeah Dexter is like a horror story right <laughs> all I mean so many things I found I was like wow um this actually exists and it exists in this way um but hey you're gonna let me put it in the book <laughs> then I'm absolutely gonna do that um also kind of right nothing was a horror in itself but that is a, a, a like a subject <laughs> for or like a conversation for another day but I'm just happy that it exists and it and it survived. 
um, what was the um, Warner Brothers and like Max yeah. and all like because hey people it's not just what's on TV like everything else that it was related to an IP there's a cascade effect and it gets very scary um because you don't know if this thing that you spent your time on is going to survive mm-hmm. so um thankfully so far yeah um it has survived and pre-orders <laughs> are still up it'll be out November 7th <laughs> um and it's just a it's a good time like I was able to I tried to fit as much Stephanieisms into this book as I could that legal would allow me to do (laughs) so please pick it up (laughs) yeah because that that yeah that's again another conversation for another day but that is also a horror story in itself (laughs) um I have a story coming out for Nightshade the new Nightshade that I introduced Logan Lewis a follow-up for her uh appearance in Pride and she is dealing with the horror of unemployment so you go to school you get the degrees and then you can't find a job so she's dealing with that um she does find her quote-unquote dream job but spoiler alert it turns out to be a bit of a nightmare so that'll be out um october 4th by the time you listen to this it's probably out and maybe all four uh four parts it's a four-part story the way that um marvel infinity comics work so um, probably by the time you listen to this, I think it should all be out or at least almost done. So please check that out and have some other stuff on the way that I wish I could bring up. Um, the one thing, whenever I mention it, dear listener, when you hear it, you will you will scream. I hope that you do because um, Sarah definitely screams. So just be on the lookout for that news um, whenever it drops. But as always, Sarah, like it was just... I always look forward to these because um, our conversations, because one, it's nice to just like totally geek out with someone, but to just kind of have these conversations that are like just free flowing and just, this is what I think about this thing. And not to hear like, well, that's completely insane. So anyway, you want to talk about My Little Ponies or like, I like to talk about like My Little Ponies, but it's just nice because writing is just so isolating. Writing is a horror in itself. But no, like writing can be insanely isolating. So it's just nice to talk to a fellow writer and just a fellow nerd in general and just kind of like, hey, those thoughts aren't too crazy. They're not too (laughs) wild. And I, too, am an uber fan about this thing. Um, So like I just I always look forward to our conversations because I just I just feel better sometimes. Do I do a little work afterwards? Yeah, today (laughs) I probably won't. For me, it's always just like, yeah, I mean, I have the utmost respect for you. It's always been wonderful to see, you know, as stuff comes out, you know, it's nice to have somebody who you're both like a friend of and also a fan of. I just love that dynamic. Every time I've gotten to experience it, I've been like blessed enough, I guess, to have a lot of creatives who I really admire in my life. I think that that might have been why I became a creative to begin with was I just loved art too much, you know? So it was like, I want to talk to the people. I want to figure out why they do the things they do, what they like, what we have in common, all of this kind of stuff. And I got to say, every single time you're on, it's just, I know in my heart that there will never be a place where I'm like, all right, I think I've had enough. (laughs) Like, I think I've had enough of this conversation. Every time our conversations end, I'm like, let's take this energy, keep it rolling, as you said, for the for the day. Like, let's try to 
move into some creative work, it, it's always really inspirational for me to talk to you because we have so much in common as far as our interests go. But just the idea of just being like, cool, let's let's talk about why Medusa, right? You know, all of that kind of stuff I always think is yeah. the most fun thing in the world and just in general. And then, you know, obviously I always have, I have the utmost respect for you. I think that you are a genuinely one of the most helpful people I've ever met. You know, it's like the, um, you you introduced me to Shannon Miller, who is one of my favorite editors I've ever worked with, you know. So there's a lot of things that I feel like, you know, just very casually you've done that have been really helpful to me. So I want to say I really appreciate you just as a person. But also our conversations you, are always like, yeah, I look forward to them as well. It's like, oh, I haven't had Stephanie on in a while. So <laughs> I guess I haven't yelled about aliens in a while. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's nice to be chaotic with someone else too, which I, I just love. And the mutual respect, Sarah. Um, actually, while we were um, recording, I was like, "Crap! I thought I ordered your book, and I hadn't." So I ordered it while we were oh. mid conversation. <laughs> um, so I will be diving into that because I remember like seeing it, and I just you know, oh, so many books. I'm like, did I? Because usually I'll right and like I remember like I felt like I did but I didn't because I'm like I would have it by now mm-hmm. so I can't wait to dive in and just like yell at you mm-hmm. via email or over the phone yeah. or the next time we record like hey so <laughs> explain to me this because it's so cool oh yeah and I just I can't wait yeah it's just really fun to again like I don't know like just really kick it and hang out with someone that is just so dope so Again, thank you for the invite. Um, I knew that Halloween was around the corner. I was like, ooh, I hope there's space because <laughs> I want to get weird again yeah. and talk about all these things that I don't get a chance to like talk about openly just on social media because ugh, it is what it mm-hmm. is. But like, hey, I have other interests that extend beyond Cape Comics yeah. and a lot of stuff that I normally talk about just because I'm like, hey, public, eh y'all can have this but some stuff I like to keep to myself because I want somebody like you know kicking sand on it or just doing the (laughs) whole thing was like ah well I I don't like that so it's not for me it's like okay well then go piss somewhere else not on my thing yeah I I think that there's something to be said when you know ah god and with all creatives I always love those kind of candid moments right where you just are hearing people and what they think and what they're interested in that's just like so much nicer than, and it's why I don't prepare questions for this. I never, I I do the reading, right? But I don't prepare questions whenever I do interviews. And it's a hundred percent because it's like, what do you want to talk about? I don't, I can't control this conversation and have it still be a really good conversation. I don't think. So I always appreciate yeah. people who are willing to kind of go on this uh kind of an unsuspected ride because it's like we talked oh we'll talk about these five things before the call started and then it's like you know the call starts and we're all over the place there were things we didn't get to there's you know it's always like that and as you said you know a fellow chaotic person I'm an Aries you're a Gemini the spring signs that aren't earth signs are chaotic generally but you know, it is It is always uh, one thing that I love about Gemini's is I will never run out of stuff to say to them. You know, it's like you'll always be able to have a good no. conversation with an Aries and a Gemini in the room. So thank you for your <laughs> astrological sign. Thank you <laughs> on behalf of all Gemini's. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for being here, of course. Oh, 
course. Um, and fellow listener, thank you for being here with us. So like, I really hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoy recording it. Yeah. And thanks, of course, to, uh, well, go pick up all of Stephanie's books, of course, yes, <laughs> which please. is a kind of uh, an underlying theme of our podcast in general. Like, you know, a few episodes will pass and we'll eventually be like, go buy something from Stephanie. Um, so if you haven't gotten that message yet, you're getting it now. Go check out all of the Nubia comics. <laughs> I got the Nubia hardcover. It's absolutely stunning. It's, I got it facing, you know, how you have your bookshelf and then there's the spines and then there's the ones oh, that you yeah. have like flipped out so that everybody can see it. Nubia is one of the ones that is just like, this cover must be seen and appreciated from all, by all who enter my office. Highly recommend checking that out. <laughs> But I was going to say to you, uh, thanks to SE, thanks to Monica, thanks to Priya, thanks to Kate, thanks to everybody who brings this podcast together. You know, if you want more stuff, go check out uh, patreon.com slash queerspec and you'll find even more episodes in the archives. And as always, thanks for being here, everybody. Happy Halloween. <laughs> 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 You're listening to Bitches on Comics, distributed by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Find more shows like Bitches on Comics by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at, at @bitchesoncomics and on Instagram at, at @bitchesoncomics. Our website is brace yourself, bitchesoncomics.com. If you go there, you can listen to any of our episodes and we've got other shit that we put on tabs. I don't remember what it is. I am in charge of updating the website, however, so good luck. <laughs> Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support the podcast by joining us on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash queerspec to learn more. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. I'm Monica Estrella and you can find me at www.audreysrevenge.com or on Twitter at Audrey Revenge. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization.
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.